Okay, so um, guys, good morning. Um, if you don't recognize me, my name is Chris. Um, I'm on staff here. I've gotten multiple double takes since I grew the beard, uh, like literally people not recognizing me until a few seconds into our conversation. So um, I'm our family's pastor. Can we talk about beards for a minute? Is that okay? Josh, okay. So, um, so not my beard. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm on staff here. I'm our family's pastor. My wife, Arlena, and I, we've been on staff for almost four years. Our lead pastor, Tyler Hardy, his wife, Ashley, they are actually overseas right now um, in Budapest for ARCON, which is Antioch's regional conference that happens every couple of years. Such a cool opportunity. They're meeting with all of our church plants and, uh, and church planting teams that are in Europe, uh, Africa, and the Middle East. They're there with the whole Antioch movement this week. It's a couple, every, once every couple of years, they gather together. Guys, this is the family that we're a part of. Like literally people all over the globe living for Jesus, living to see the kingdom advance. So Tyler and Ashley aren't here this morning because that's where they are. But back to beards. Um, so I got a picture from Tyler the other day and he's like letting it go again. He's got a sweet beard. And um, I just, here's some insider trading, okay? So Tyler was growing a pretty sweet beard a few weeks ago or about a month ago. And um, he shaved it off. Here's why. He said, too many of you guys were complimenting him on his beard, okay? So Tyler's not a populist. So if you, like, clap for him or do something, he'll, like, go in the other direction, okay? <laughs> so, so insider trading. If he gets back and he's got a sweet beard going, just don't say anything, okay? <laughs> Seriously, don't compliment it. Just, like, act like it's, I know you're going to be tempted, but just resist the devil, okay? And <laughs> just act like he doesn't have a beard, and we'll see how long we can get this thing going, okay? So he's looking good. They're doing great. And um, I'm excited to get to share this morning as we wrap up um, our series we've been in for the last month called Becoming Good Soil, okay? And um, I, I uh, want to start by having you flip to John 15. We're going to read a few, uh, a few verses here that I hope will sound very familiar um, to most of you guys, but... I think there's a very clear message shining through these, these few verses as we um, kind of wrap up this series. I'm really excited for what, uh, what I feel like God has for us today. So in John 15, verse 4, it says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. The, the word abide just means to remain. It means to stay planted, to stay connected. He's saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. This is verse five here. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not bear if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown in the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Let's hang here on verse eight. Check this out. By this, our Father 
is glorified, that you bear much fruit, say much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Even just a quick reading of these few verses, I think we would all agree that fruit is very important to our Father. Amen? Fruitfulness is very important to God. And I would say more specifically, the fruitfulness of your life is very, very important to Father God. Have you ever, did you ever wonder about the fruit of your life? Do you ever like just take a moment and sit back and, and wonder what is the fruit that my life is producing right now? Because I think that, that just reading quickly through these verses, we, ha- we would have to agree, are you with me? God is very passionate about the fruitfulness of my life. Are you with me? Much fruit. Why? Because the fruit of my life declares his glory. He's actually more passionate about his glory. He's more passionate at displaying the wonder and the splendor of his wisdom and his goodness, but he displays the glory of his goodness through the fruit of those that follow him and submit to the ways of his kingdom. The fruit of your life displays his glory, and he's very passionate about it. For the last several weeks in this series, we've been, we've been looking at, we've kind of been going after, I would call them some very specific rocks in the soil. Envision your life as a big field. And we've been going out looking for some big rocks in the soil that could be hindering the fruitfulness of your field. We went after some lies about our identity and things that are just not aligned with the word of God and who he says about us. We went after pride and pulling out some of this self-reliance and independence out of our garden. Last week, we went after sexual immorality, and there's just these, these big rocks that hinder our field from producing fruit. This morning, as we wrap it up, there's a lot of specific things that we could go after, but instead, I want us to, I want us to go after a few tools now today, a few practices that are going to help all of us bear the most fruit in our field for the long haul. Who wants to live the most fruitful life possible to glorify Jesus for all of your days? You want every ounce of fruit to come forth from your garden. Amen. You should. God is very passionate about the fruitfulness of your life. You should be also. Amen. And so I want you to picture that Father God is walking you to the edge of your field and he's standing with you saying, my son or my daughter This is the field of your life, and I want to equip you, my son, my daughter, with everything you need to cultivate beautiful fruit, increasing fruit, much fruit in this field of your life for for all of your days, because I'm actually coming back um, at some point in the future. I'm going to be back, and I am really hopeful and expected, expectant for the fruitfulness of your life for my glory. And imagine the father walks you around. He's like, okay, so let's talk. I want to show you. So first over here, we've got to talk about, we've got to talk about watering. Okay, it's so critical to the, this fruit, cultivating fruit in this field, that you understand how central it is that you're watering your field 
regularly, okay? So I want to talk about that. And then, and then we're going to talk about weeding because there's going to be some stuff that kind of gets into your garden over time that you don't want there, just some thorns, some vines, some nasty stuff. And so we need to actually learn how to get into the field and to weed out the stuff that we don't want there, okay? So we talk about watering, we're gonna talk about weeding, and then there's this principle that is so important, my son, to growing healthy fruit, and it's waiting. It's just how things grow. They don't happen overnight. So there's a, there's a discipline of waiting and trusting me. Even when you don't see something come up immediately, you don't check out. Even when you don't get the breakthrough you're praying for immediately, there's a, there's, there's a place of wait, learning how to wait with me while you're waiting for the fruit to come forth. All right? So watering, weeding, waiting. And then the last thing, my son, this is very important. The last thing is warfare. Oh, you thought this was just gonna be some cute lesson in gardening? No, 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 my son, you need to understand, my daughter, you need to understand, okay, that you are in a war. You are in a battle. The field of your life, the plot of soil that is the field of your life is the staging ground for the greatest battle in all of history, whether or not you're gonna glorify God with a fruitful life or not. And so I've gotta teach you how to defend your field. I gotta teach you how to fight. That's where we're going this morning, church. That's what we're getting into. And it's gonna be fun because God is a good father and he wants us to be fully equipped Fully equipped. He has not let, left us without instruction. Okay? Little disclaimer on the front end. This message assumes that you've already received the seed of the gospel into your field and that you're on the journey to become a fruitful disciple. Okay? John chapter 1 says that many have rejected the message of Jesus. Many of even his own people, the, the, the Jews at the time, rejected the message of Jesus. But for whoever would receive Jesus, God gives the right, check this out, to become children of God. Anyone who receives Jesus, receives his death on the cross, his resurrection, receives his lordship, were given the right to become children. It's interesting. When you receive Jesus, becoming children of God is both something that happens in an instant and something that takes time, okay? You become, as soon as you receive Jesus as Lord, you become a son or a daughter in the house of God. You are adopted into the family. But depending on where you are coming from, okay, your journey to actually look like a son or a daughter of the king, to actually behave and function like a mature son and daughter of heavenly father is a journey to becoming. Are you guys with me? And so this message assumes, though, that you've already received the gospel. You've said yes to Jesus as the Lord of your life, and you're on the journey of becoming the son and daughter he created you to be. So I'm going to stop. If you have not done that before, raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Uh, if you... If you have not, I'm serious though, this is the message. If you have never received the gospel, 
If you've never received Jesus as your Lord, if you've never said, thank you for the cross on which you suffered for my sin, says, the Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for me on my behalf, that in him I might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus made a way for this great exchange where all my sin and my wretchedness was paid for by him so that I could receive grace and be restored to who I was made to be, which is a son of God, a daughter of God. That transaction happens at the cross, and I really do want to invite you to, if you've never received that, I want to give you a moment right now. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to close our eyes. I want to give you a moment to receive Jesus as Lord, as Savior of your heart. All right, Father, thank you. Yeah, the book of Revelation says Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And he simply says that if anyone will open the door to me, I will come in to him or to her. And so if you're here this morning and you've never opened the door of your heart to King Jesus, I want to encourage you just to let him in. Very simply, you just say, come into my life, Jesus. Come into my heart, Jesus. I receive you as my savior. I receive you as the only one that paid for all of my sin. I receive you as the only one that was resurrected on my behalf so that I could have a new life. I receive you and I say thank you that you have called me now your son or your daughter. Father me, lead me in this life and show me how to become who you've created me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your eyes closed and heads down. If you prayed that this morning, would you raise your hand? This is just between you and the Lord. This is like a stake in the ground. Would you raise your hand? Go ahead and do it. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, go ahead, raise your hand. Just wanna see. Praise God. Don't be bashful. Between you and the Lord, praise God. I see at least three brothers joining the family of God this morning here. Come on. Praise God. All right. If you raised your hand this morning, if you raised this hand this morning, this is so critical. First of all, you need to tell somebody that you came with, or if you didn't come with somebody, come and tell me, or tell a friend, or tell Jonathan back there in the booth, okay? So tell somebody, I saw three brothers, this is so critical, okay? You are a part of the family of God now, the Bible says. You have become a son of God, and now he is gonna take you on a journey that where he is going to help you now lead and grow up as his child, okay? So tell somebody, okay, so I'm assuming then that we're all on the same page for this journey. Okay, that we're all good for cultivating as much fruit as possible. Amen. That's the goal, right? Okay. All right. Watering. Flip to Psalm one, one through three. Psalm one, one through three. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. Raise your hand if you want that life right there. Fruitful in season. My leaf never withers, right? 
everything that I touch prospers. What creates that kind of environment in your life? Day and night exposure to the word of God creates an environment for continual nourishment of your field, much like a tree planted next to a stream, planted next to a creek. They are continually fed. We've got a creek that runs out behind the back of our house, and all the trees that are planted around the creek are all 10 feet higher than the ones that are further away because there's this constant nourishment that comes in when you meditate on God's truths day and night. It's, you create an environment where you're like constantly watering and fertilizing this field of your life for fruitfulness. So there's two really critical components to this like day and night watering. Number one, there's gotta be a personal devotional life. Now, it really is up to you and up to me how much I water my field, how much I water the seeds of truth that God's planting in my life. It's up to you. So you don't, hear me say this, go on record. I know I've said something contrary to this a lot. You don't have to spend time with God every day. That's right, you can quote that. Chris said, I don't have to spend time with God every day. You know I'm setting you up. But (laughs) your garden will only flourish as much as you water it. So why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you daily cultivate the most fruitful life possible by establishing a commitment to a devotional life where day and night you're exposing your heart to the living waters, the word of God, planting yourself as a tree by streams? It matters, and honestly, it's up to you. There are some of you in this room that will grow faster than your peers, not because you're smarter, not because you're more anointed, not because you're that much more special, but because you're planted. They're coming in on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, and they're getting the sprinkler on them a couple times a week. You've decided to plant your life next to the river of water. You're going to grow faster. It's not a competition, but I'm saying you get to decide how much you water. The second piece is a commitment to community. There's got to be a personal commitment to community. Here's why. This is amazing. I just realized this this weekend preparing for this message, okay? Jesus said that whoever would believe in me, this is John chapter 7, whoever would believe in me from his innermost being will flow what? rivers of living water. So why do I need to be connected with a life group community? Why do I need to come here on a Sunday? Why do I need to be in discipleship? Because the believers around you, the life-giving sons and daughters that are around you, they have a river inside of them of living water that you need for the fruitfulness of your field. So is it any surprise that the enemy messes with our community so much messes with our friendships so much, messes with our life groups so much, he's trying to separate us from one another because he knows we're all carrying rivers inside. And if that gets together, watch out. Fruitfulness, I mean, just across the board. Okay, so this is critical that we're planning ourselves in a personal devotional life and we're committing to being in community around us. So this is how we regularly just water our field. That's critical. It's, it's a daily part of this journey of becoming 
who he's made us to be. The second component is equally important, and it's this weeding part, okay? Because, because inevitably, we're in process. There's stuff that's going to start growing in my field that I don't want there, okay? Every garden I've ever had at any home or place I've ever lived, it's like the weeds, they just come. They come with a vengeance, right? And so we've got to figure out this daily practice of weeding. Guys, the battle over the fruitfulness of your life, your field, will mostly be fought on one very critical front. The constant skirmish between truth and lies. The constant skirmish. So imagine this. On one side of your field is the good father. He's the God of all truth. Okay, And when we receive his truth and plant it in our field, it creates salvation, it creates freedom, it produces joy, it produces peace, the good father sowing truth into our field. We know Jesus himself said, you will know the truth and the truth will. Okay, so, on the, uh, so truth and freedom, God is good and he's here and he's wanting to plant that in your field. On the other side of your field, there's another father. He's not a good father. He's called the father of lies. And he is seeking constantly to manipulate you into believing garbage about the good father and about yourself and about the people around you. And if truth sown creates freedom, then what grows in your field if lies are planted? Bondage. When we listen to the father of lies, and we allow lies to be planted in the field of our lives, it puts us on a path to deception and it sows bondage into our lives. This is critical. So this is why weeding is so important, okay? Because every single day, the father of lies is chirping in your ear trying to get this junk planted in your garden. And every single one of us, we've had the experience, I'm I'm guessing, where you walked by the garden one day and you're like, oh, there's two or three weeds, no big deal. I'll get them tomorrow, right? And then you walk by a few days later. Oh, it's five or six weeds. Oh, I don't have time right now. I'll get them later, right? And then a week or two goes by. Life happens. You get busy. And what happens to your garden? Just overrun with weeds, right? And if you haven't been watering it at the same time, it's not just overrun with weeds. Now it's all crusty. The soil's hard. And good luck pulling those weeds out and getting the root. You know what I'm saying? Are you seeing there's an environment we're trying to cultivate here in our lives to create the most kind of fruitfulness? And so we've got to have a daily practice. If we would just walk by and pick the two weeds, right? It takes four seconds, you know? And and then tomorrow, there's a couple more. The father of lies is trying to plant this junk. And nope, I'm not, pull them out, pull them out. And we just tend the field daily, little by little. We've got to develop this practice. And it's so important that people in the Antioch movement have spent years developing this practice called tending your heart, okay? This is a one-page resource that's available on our website. You can download it under our download section on the website. I also have a bunch printed up here. You can grab one under the service. Again, we're not going to deep dive this thing. The, The goal is to equip you to be a weeder, to like get this stuff out of your garden day by day. Check this out. It says in Proverbs 4, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it 
flow the springs of life. Tending your heart is a practice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you an example from my own life here in a second, but it's a practice of when I'm noticing that what's flowing out of my life is starting to get nasty, okay? What's overflowing from my heart is anxiety or stress or bitterness or rudeness or whatever, just any, anything that's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When it starts to flow out of my life, I stop and I go, God, what's really going on here? What is this? Why am I so irritated with my kid right now? What is really going on? Why am I so bitter at my roommate right now? What is really going on? Why am I feeling so anxious or depressed right now? What is really going on? Stopping and letting God speak so that you can recognize what is really going on. The last couple of weeks, I'm just going to be honest and vulnerable. Um, I've been like struggling pretty intensely with some anxiety. This is not like a normal thing for my life, but just I would, you know, get up, spend time with Jesus in the morning, go into my day, be off to a good start. And then inevitably by lunchtime or maybe in the afternoon, just kind of that like shortness of breath, like heavy, somebody sitting in my chest just feeling like there's too much to do and I don't have enough time to do it. And I just feel like I'm carrying the weight of the world. And after about a week or so of just kind of starting to feel that, I started having these headaches, not like migraines, but every day just kind of like, man, what is going on? Now learn from my mistake here. I didn't do this, okay, very quickly. I kind of went on like a week, week and a half before I said, God, what is really going on here? And when I finally asked him that question, he said, you're having headaches because you're exhausted. You're exhausted because you feel like you're carrying the weight of the world by yourself and you don't know how to rest. That's what's really going on. You're not just a slave to anxiety. There's stuff underneath the surface that's happening here. And so I began to go, okay, that's so helpful. I knew I was exhausted, but I think I forgot or something or, you know, and so, okay, I, that's helpful for me to hear from you that I don't really know how to rest and I need to figure that out. And so I began to put a Sabbath back into my life. I began to change the way that I was actually operating to get that place of peace back. So these are available. It's so critical that we make a practice out of this daily, okay? So watering, weeding, y'all remember the third one? Waiting. Your favorite thing to do as a good American, right, is wait. Remember? Yes, we love to wait. This actually might be one of the hardest components for spiritual growth for us because we hate to wait for anything. We are the insta generation, the children of the microwave. We are the true offspring of the most instant gratification culture to ever walk the planet. But unfortunately, guys, fruit the field of your life, you cannot microwave it, you cannot shortcut it, you cannot command it into existence, it has to grow, and growth takes time, and so you get to wait. But I wanna tell you, biblical waiting is not like waiting for your mom to pick you up from school at the end of the day. That's not what I'm talking about. You're sitting here going, okay, did she forget about me? Is she ever coming? Does she hate me? You know, like. Here I am, wasting, waiting, waste. You know, we, we think we equate waiting with wasting. Guys, biblical waiting is not wasting anything. 
Biblical waiting, we'll see in Psalm 27, 13 and 14. Check this out. I believe, this is biblical waiting right here. I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There's no fruit growing right here right now. I haven't seen my breakthrough yet, but I believe I will look upon it. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Biblical waiting requires a confident belief that it's coming and strength to wait for it until it gets here, to say, I'm gonna water, I'm gonna weed, and I'm not gonna give up. I'm gonna water, I'm gonna weed, and I'm not gonna give up. This fruit's coming, I know, I'm gonna see it. I'm gonna see the goodness of the Lord. I'm gonna stand firm. Biblical waiting is not laziness. It is not wasting time. It is God, it's coming. Strengthen me to wait here until it does. So many people short, uh, so many people sell themselves short. They eject from something because they feel like they're waiting too long. If you're waiting on something, it probably just means that it's a really amazing piece of fruit and it's still being produced. Don't give up, don't take shortcuts. Stay the course and do the daily work. All right, and then lastly, our most favorite one because we all love swords, all right, is warfare. Because as soon as your life begins to produce fruit that glorifies the God of the universe, guys, a whole nother dimension opens up in your life. The dimension where the thief wants to come in and steal, kill, and destroy the fruit of your life, okay? And I just wanna give us a sober biblical perspective of spiritual warfare this morning because you cannot read the New Testament and escape this reality of our life as sons and daughters, okay? But I think you're gonna find that it is not a place to fear, but it's actually a place of great confidence and freedom where you learn how to wield a sword and a shield and you actually become the great warrior on the scene that's intimidating other people and not vice versa. I believe that there are some of you this morning Some of us, I will put myself in this category, that have been getting kicked around needlessly by an enemy who's weaker than us. We've been getting harassed needlessly by an enemy who's already been defeated. And if we just know how to lay hold of the sword and the shield, he will go running. I wanna show you. Warfare, okay? Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Don't miss this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this spiritual present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Read that again. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces. Why is this good news? Because you are not the only problem in your life, okay? Sometimes when we're struggling, I get it. We, we look inward and we just start 
beating ourselves to death. I'm so weak. I'm so screwed up. What's wrong with me? I mean, be honest. Am I alone in this thing? We just get down on ourselves and think, how come everybody else has it figured out but not me? How come, you know? And we just beat ourselves to death and we never lift up our eyes and realize maybe some of this opposition is not just me. Maybe I'm actually in a battle with an enemy who hates the fruit of my life. Maybe this is hard, not just because I'm weak. Look, there are ways where we open the door for him to come into our lives, and we need to shut that door. We need to repent of the junk that is letting him in, right? But guys, we need to understand that much of the opposition we encounter is coming from outside of us. If Ephesians 6.12 is true, okay? This is why in 1 Timothy 6, Paul calls us to fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which we've been called. We've lost our fight, church. That's what, that is the, the, the burden on my heart this morning as I believe we have, we have lost our fight. Or maybe we think that we're living in peacetime. Maybe that's the bigger problem. And as much as I wish that we were living in peacetime, the fact of the matter is, is this is not true. 1 Peter 5.8, I'm just Bible. I'm just trying to give you, this isn't my hooky-kooky take on spiritual warfare, okay? This is the word of God. Be sober-minded. Hey, watch out. Seriously, 1 Peter 5.8, he's saying, watch out. Be sober-minded, okay? Why? Why do you need to watch out and be sober-minded? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, okay? But here's the, here's the antidote, you ready? Look, nobody is allowed to be afraid of the lion who has been crucified and killed. Okay, I'm not, sorry, that's confusing, okay? <laughs> but it might be kind of true, let me think about it, okay? But the enemy wants you to think he's this roaring lion, he has been defeated in this arm, okay? And he's actually like this really pathetic kitty cat, right? That's trying to intimidate you, okay? But if you see him as a lion, you're gonna get pushed around by him all the time. But if you realize he's been disarmed, then you're gonna resist him. Look at this, firm in your faith, resist him, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by their brothers throughout the world. You're not alone. Look, the opposition is real, guys. There is opposition to your life. Remember what I told you? The soil of your life is the, is the staging point for the greatest battle in all of history. The enemy hates the glory of God. And if the fruit of your life is gonna glorify God, then of course he's gonna come after your field. Are you, are you guys with me? So check this out. How do we resist the devil? How do we do that? That's the greatest question how do we resist the devil? James 4, 7 through 8, it says this, two parts. Submit yourself to God. That's part one. There's got to be this true submission where we say, God, I'm, I give you my heart. I'm surrendering my life to you. In all of my weakness and my struggle, my desire is to come under the lordship of Jesus, to come under the rule of Jesus fully. So I submit my life to you, God. I humble myself before you, that's part one. And then part two is what? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
please do not try to resist the devil before you've submitted to God. But if you submit your heart, say, God, my desire is to follow you. My desire is not for this junk or this sin or whatever's been messing with me. My desire is freedom. I submit myself to you, God. Help me. Change me. Now, Lord, I know that some of my trouble, some of my opposition, some of my temptation is not just from me. Lord, And help me to stand firm and to resist my enemy. Church, Okay, Colossians 2, Colossians 2, can we get that up there? Um, let's just go straight to verse 15, okay? Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them open to shame on the cross. He triumphed over them. Okay, what does it mean to be disarmed? It means to have no weapons, okay? So, all right, Bailey, I need you to, I need you to put your journal down because I'm about to come at you. I need you to show me what you would legitimately do if I come at you armed and you currently have no weapons, okay? I'm coming to get you, bro. I'm coming to get you. Really? Wait, were you paying attention? Were you paying attention? What happens when I come after the enemy and I'm armed and he's not? Somebody tell Bailey. Get out of here. He flees. Run. Seriously, run away. Thank you. It's okay. You can come back, Bailey. I forgive you. Okay. That went much better in first service. It's all right. Do you guys get the point? If somebody comes after me with a sword and I have nothing, I'm gone. Okay? This is critical. Bailey, thank you. You're amazing. Okay? Guys, can I tell you why this is so critical? Can I tell you why this is so critical? It's because we have the upper hand, guys. And too many of us are living like we don't. Too many of us are laying down and taking a beating. And there's a sword laying in our hand, and we're not even picking it up. Guys, everything that is hard in your life is not just because you're weak and screwed up, okay? There's areas for us to tend our hearts and to repent for the things that we're partnering with that are not helpful. But there's opposition against your life. And there are weapons of warfare. And as sons and daughters, we have got to get our fight back. We've got to get up off the mat and <laughs> resist the devil. And sometimes you might have to get a little feisty about it, okay? And I'm not saying, all I'm saying is, okay, like, this is not a joke. This is not, like, the fruitfulness of your life is not, like, some you know, video game guys where you can respawn, you know, or something like that when you, if you screw it all up, you know, it's like, this is a real fight, okay? If somebody was coming after me to steal, kill, and destroy, or coming into my home, like the Bible says the thief is, to steal, kill, and destroy, and mess with my family, do you think that I'm just gonna passively ask him to leave? Oh, heck no. You don't know me if you don't know. There, guys, the Bible says that the Lord is a warrior. Okay, so if you are his son or daughter and you are made in his image, do you realize that you are called to be, in these days, we are not in peacetime. He's not playing fair. I know I'm, I'm beating the dead horse here, okay, but we have got to rise up and fight. 
So we're going to do it. Rise up. Rise up. Stand. Band. Come on. Y'all thought we were just going to talk about gardening. Classic. So here it is, guys. It's not complicated. The weapons of our warfare. I'm not even going to give you more than one or two, okay? Here it is. Communion with God is our single greatest weapon of warfare. Communion with God. When we come into his presence, when we enter into his nearness through the word of God, through thanks and praise, when we come into his presence, the Bible says that it's like entering into a tent where he hides us. We enter into this place where he conceals us from the war that's raging around us. So we don't live in fear. We just learn how to enter in and take refuge in God. We learn how to go to battle with the weapons of our warfare. I believe he's put a sword in one hand and a shield in the other. Guys, the sword is the word of God. The shield of faith, I believe, this is my personal conviction right now, is praise because praise is the declaration of faith. I have a sword in one hand, I have a shield in the other, and I get to go into the place. This is why Psalm 23, David says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. They can surround me, they can yell at me, they can accuse and try to intimidate me, and I'm gonna pull my chair up right here to the table of the Lord, and I'm gonna feast on the living bread of life, and I'm gonna commune with God, and I'm gonna come in with thanks and praise, and even when I'm feeling under it, or when I'm feeling accused, or when I'm feeling distracted, or when I'm feeling afraid, or when I'm feeling shameful, or condemnation, whatever it is, I'm gonna say, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? I'm gonna pick up the sword of the Spirit called the Word of God, and I'm gonna say, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, I will be confident. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I will seek to dwell in his house, to gaze upon his beauty. He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent and he will lift me high upon the rock of Jesus. Now my head and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Sword and shield, word of God and praise. This is how we fight. So you guys know we're gonna sing that song right now. You know, 
And here, this is, this is, guys, I'm inviting you. Open your Bible or put a song in your mouth. It's time to go to, to war right now. It's time to fight the fight of faith. If you've been harassed, assaulted, accused, kicked while you're down, it is time for you to resist him. He has been disarmed. He has been defeated. He does not get to mess with you anymore in Jesus' name. The blood of the cross is the victory. The table that he prepares for us is the body and the blood of Jesus on the cross. The victory is in his name. So God, we just come in to lift up the name of Jesus, to step into victory today because you have given it to us as our inheritance, as your sons and daughters. It was never the intent of your heart for one moment that we should continue to be assaulted and afflicted by an enemy who's been defeated. So we step into the victory of the blood of Jesus today. We step into the victory of the cross today. We thank you, Lord, that the enemy has been defeated. Death could not hold you down, Lord Jesus. We step into your victory today. It's in your great name we pray. Thank you, God.